You are listening to Pandora's Box Radio with Kalia LaRoche. For more information about my products and services, counseling, coaching, hypnotherapy, books, and audios, please visit NarcissismFree.com or PathBackToSelf.com. Hello and welcome to Pandora's Box. This is Kalia. And today the topic of our podcast is how do I break my destructive relationship patterns? One of the biggest concerns people have when they come to me for help and support is that they recognize they have a destructive relationship pattern. Now they may have a pattern of being with narcissists and or addicts. And when they finally extract themselves from one bad relationship, they find themselves getting involved in another. Now, it isn't that they get involved right away. Some people do. It's not that they go just from the frying pan into the fire. A lot of people do take time out to work through that relationship, to heal from it before they get involved again. But when they get involved again, They find themselves getting involved with the same kind of person, even if they appear to be different. Sometimes the pain of withdrawal from a toxic relationship is so strong that when another opportunity for love presents itself, people are inclined to risk all and jump just so they can feel good again, even if it's for a short time. It's typical in these types of situations to go into denial and imagine, just as the narcissist does, that the new relationship will be so much better than the old one. And of course, during the honeymoon or love bombing stage, it may seem that way. But most of us by now realize that the love bombing honeymoon state of a relationship is very deceptive. It isn't based on reality, only fantasy. The first thing that we need to realize in breaking toxic relationship patterns is to take a good hard look at our own romantic fantasy life. Now, if you look back at previous relationships, what kind of things did you fantasize about in the beginning? And how much did that relationship match your idealistic fantasies in the beginning. The second thing to look at is how quickly you may dismiss kind-hearted, caring, and loving partners because you just don't feel it. You don't have that same active romantic fantasy life going on. That part of you isn't being triggered. You don't sit around imagining your life together with this person, questioning how they feel about you and if they might feel the same about you as you do about them. What we really need to do is take a good hard look at our own level of emotional maturity Many are stuck in a juvenile, teenager, or young love stage when it comes to romantic relationships, when what we really need in our lives is to grow up. And I know this is really hard to hear. We don't want to see ourselves as emotionally immature, but if you continue to attract emotionally underdeveloped or immature 
people into your life, you may need to look at your own level of emotional maturity. Now, in all honesty, emotional maturity is a pretty huge issue in our society. We have overdeveloped intellects and underdeveloped emotions. Our IQ is high and our EQ is much lower. And this is why we see so many intelligent narcissists. They have high IQs, but very low EQs or emotional intelligence. Now you may have a higher EQ than your narcissistic counterpart, which allows you to see their emotional maturity as low, but you may need to up-level your own emotional maturity in order to be interested in a more emotionally mature partner. When I asked clients what they liked about their narcissistic partner in the beginning, I hear a lot of the same thing. They're attractive, charismatic, charming, romantic, sexy, fun, playful, funny, and very quick to want a relationship with them. They also are very, during that love bombing stage, they're very focused on you and all of your great qualities. So you might be getting a lot of compliments and a lot of positive feedback, which is very attractive to most of us. Most people go from not having a relationship to having a relationship almost overnight when it comes to these types of relationships. It's easy to feel charmed or rather like you've had a love spell cast on you. It's easy to fall for the seduction and the promises of love that are offered. And some people call this future faking, but I prefer to call it false promises because I'm not convinced that the narcissist in most cases believe that they're faking it. They also have romantic fantasies. Even in the diagnostic manual, the DSM-5, the definition of a narcissist includes a quest for ideal love. They're looking for that one person who will be and do everything that they wish. The concept of ideal love in itself is false. So we need to evaluate our own search for ideal love. Ideal love is a concept based on romantic fantasy and a belief that there is one perfect person out there for us. And this is why we so easily get caught up in fantasies such as the twin flame and soulmate fantasies. We may convince ourselves that we've met our one true love or at the very least someone who is perfect for us in every way. But you know, if we're going to access that EQ, that emotional maturity, we have to come to the understanding that perfection doesn't exist as we quickly find out when our match made in heaven turns to hell. When you have a pattern of getting involved in bad relationships, it may have more to do with the choices that you're making now and why you're making these choices then it has to do with the kind of childhood you had. Now, I'm not discounting your childhood. It's our childhood that sets us up 
for relationships where we're attracted to people who have a similar energy vibration as one or both parents or that have the same kinds of behaviors as one or both parents or they treat us the same way in the long term as one or both parents. So the way we felt with our parents as a child is reenacted in our adult relationships. There's a real familiarity there. But the big concern here is that many of my clients have been in therapy before, sometimes for years, working on their parental and childhood issues. So this is just one part of the puzzle. It isn't the whole thing. Clients will come to me and tell me that they will go to a new therapist and have to start all over with their history, their childhood neglect or abuse, and come to the same conclusion that they're attracting partners that remind them of one or both parents on some level, but they already know this. They've already been down this road, but the patterns aren't changing. Having a conscious awareness about how your childhood dynamics cause you to be attracted to similar mates doesn't change the attraction dynamic. It's intellectual. So once again, now we're engaging in our IQ, our intellectual intelligence. So we intellectually get it, right? And that doesn't change the dynamic. Some people will tell you that it does, but we're talking about an intellectual understanding to an emotional issue. How many of you know on an intellectual level that a relationship isn't good for you, but you still feel incredibly attracted to that person and you feel very emotionally attached to that person and that's what wins out in the long run? I know I've made some really bad choices due to an intense attraction to a person. And I'm a smart woman and intellectually I can often evaluate the person and come to the conclusion they would not be the best mate in the long run. But the emotional attraction typically wins the argument. This is really the issue in a nutshell. Our emotional attraction wins out. We may intellectually assess that a person or relationship wouldn't be a good match. But we end up fighting the attraction in the way a drug addict fights the urge to use. There's an addictive element to intense emotional attraction to an individual. Every fiber of our being wants to be with them, even if intellectually we know it's a mistake. How about all of you who are hoovered back into a relationship with someone you've already been with, even after it ends badly? You know intellectually it's a really bad idea to let them back in, but you do it anyway believing maybe this time it will be better. Maybe they've learned their lesson, maybe they've changed, but it's never better. There's often an intense need for that parental surrogate to show us the love, care, compassion, and empathy that a parent was unable to show us. 
And instead of choosing one who can show us these things, we're fiercely attracted to one who's just like the abandoning, abusive, or neglectful parent. It really isn't about getting our needs met to feel safe, loved, cared for, and secure in our relationship. It's about getting the one who abuses, abandons, and neglects to change and be what we need them to be. It's difficult for me to wrap my head around sometimes how our psyche screws us over this way. Why don't we feel attracted to the one who's actually capable of meeting our basic relationship needs? It feels like such a cruel trick of nature. Well, I don't believe that nature is interested in much more than our procreation. Nature isn't necessarily vested in our long-term relationship, but rather the proliferation of the species. We're supposed to be chemically attracted to another in order to procreate. And humans are the ones who realized we need some rules around the drive to procreate, which included the man taking responsibility for his offspring. And these ideas of fidelity and responsibility. So nature gives us all the help in the world to find someone to procreate with, but offers little help in finding someone to build a solid, stable life with. The romantic aspect of a relationship is a relatively new concept. Our history is built on marriages of classes, convenience, and financial benefit. So romantic feelings were not part of the arrangement. Arranged marriages were common and still are in some cultures. When someone said they wanted to marry for love, they might have been considered foolish. For love is seen as fleeting and unreliable, whereas the arranged marriages were based on a good fit economically and intellectually. Across the board, I hear people talk about how they know very few truly happy couples. Of course, most couples are deliriously happy in the beginning stages of a relationship when all their fantasies are alive and they have all this hope for each other to complete them, to fulfill them, to help them make their dreams come true. But after time, when the hormones temper and we begin to see what is really there, rather than what we fantasized as being there, the relationship becomes strained. People have to be able to cross the bridge from romantic fantasy to true, authentic love. And the true, authentic love is much like self-love. We have to develop compassion empathy, and genuine care and concern for the other person. And this is what is missing in relationships with narcissists and really toxic people, is they don't cross that bridge. They don't cross that bridge and offer true compassion, empathy, and care. We're deluded if we believe that we may be happy all the time with a partner, 
or that we'll always feel that we're in love. Many people leave relationships because they're no longer in love with that partner. When the deeper truth is that they were never really able to cross that bridge from romantic fantasy to authentic love. Real love or authentic love, as I say when I talk about self-love, is not a warm, fuzzy feeling. It's an action. It's about learning to offer the other person respect, kindness, consideration, accountability, honesty, integrity, and genuine care and concern. We tend to want the romantic fantasy to just handle everything for us without ever really having to do the work of truly showing up for ourselves and for each other. When we're addictively attracted to someone, it's the addiction of that attraction that keeps us coming back. We may even develop a sense of neediness where we need the other to fulfill some part of us that we've failed to fill for ourselves such as boredom, excitement, fun, passion, financial security, stability, and even inspiration. I've had a lot of people who were relatively bored in their lives before the narcissist showed up. And the narcissist swooped in and brought fun, laughter, and excitement into their lives. They got out and did things. They traveled and had a more active social life. They felt much more alive after getting involved with the narcissist. So when the narcissist was no longer in their lives, they defaulted back to being bored, to that state of boredom. They end up looking for a partner to meet those needs for fun, excitement, and social connection. And narcissists are often very good at this because they have very surface-level relationships. Another thing I often hear from clients looking for a relationship is that the average person that they meet may seem boring or uninteresting to them. They're often the same people who are bored when alone. So this might suggest that they're looking for someone to fill the emptiness for them rather than learn how to do this for themselves. If we are stuck on the larger-than-life people to date, we may very well get the narcissist who can appear to have it all in the beginning. They really can seem larger than life. But what about the average run-of-the-mill person who doesn't initially appear to have a very exciting life? They're stable, secure, emotionally balanced, content, maybe even have a good relationship with their ex. They may be quick to put into the boring or uninteresting category. Where maybe if you give someone who is not your type a chance, you might find that they become more interesting as you get to know them. They just aren't flashy. We often like the flashy people. The people with a lot of charisma, energy, excitement, intensity, and romantic chemistry. When what we really need might be a more down-to-earth, less 
flashy person who's consistent in how they show up. Maybe you could be the one to bring more excitement, adventure, or whatever it is you're seeking because you were not afraid to go out and find it yourself. I just returned home from a four-month adventure in my truck camper setup. I worked from the road and spent time in so many beautiful places. I took up biking with my new electric bike and I biked over a thousand miles in some of the most amazing places in the Northwest. People who I met along the way talked about how I was living the life, and that was true. I wasn't waiting around for someone who was interested in all the same things I was. I saw this time alone as a great opportunity to do exactly what I wanted to do. So I fulfilled my own need for excitement and adventure, and I didn't need anyone to share it with. Yet I talked to so many people who say they could never travel alone. It would seem empty, meaningless, and bland to be in their own company 24-7 every day. Now, in my case, it wasn't that I was never lonely. Sometimes I was. But most of the time, I really enjoyed myself, and I shared the adventure with others through my flyingsolo.me blog. Having that amazing relationship with ourselves is the first part of having a great relationship with someone else. We can't skip over this part. We have to work on developing our own level of emotional maturity and really ask ourselves what we want a relationship to do for us. What are we looking for that relationship to fulfill in us? Is it just to fill the emptiness, the loneliness? Do you seek companionship so you don't have to be alone? Well, there's nothing wrong with seeking companionship, but we can find companionship in good friends. We don't need all the complications of a relationship. So perhaps starting with nurturing good friendships is a great idea. How many of you are seeking a romantic partnership, but you don't have any real friends that you talk to on a regular basis and spend time with? In this case, you're, you're really looking for a romantic partner to play a pretty big role in your life, to fill all these different aspects for you. And you're not starting with a whole pie. You may, you may be one piece of the pie, but you're, you might be looking for that relationship to be the rest of the pie instead of looking at other areas of your life so that you have a full balanced life. Friendship's always a good place to start because we can learn a lot about ourselves when it comes to having less demanding types of relationships. If you're shy or introverted and you don't make friends easily, this is the first area of your life that needs development. We have to be able to confront those parts of ourselves that are limiting our life experiences. On the topic of toxic relationships, an emotionally underdeveloped partner may want to just absorb you into his or her life to fill a really big empty space. And if you 
have a really big empty space in your life, you're probably going to be game for being absorbed by that partner. Initially, it may cause you to feel wanted, needed, desired, and even loved. But being a space filler isn't the ingredients for a stable long-term relationship. It's the ingredient of a needy relationship. Of course, that person probably hasn't reflected on his or her life enough to be aware that he or she's trying to absorb you into their life to fill an empty space. They may be projecting their own romantic fantasies onto the situation, which may in turn trigger your romantic fantasies and you both believed you found the one. The one who will right all the wrongs in your life. That one that will fulfill you or fill you up or fill all that empty space within you. The more emotionally mature we become, the more we are aware that nobody out there is going to right our wrongs for us. Only we can do this. Nobody out there is going to truly fill your inner emptiness or loneliness. Nobody out there is going to take responsibility for your excitement and adventure. Nobody out there is going to take responsibility for your financial security or stability. And nobody out there is going to take responsibility for your personal security. So if you have a lot of insecurity, you can't expect somebody outside of you to take responsibility for making you feel secure. That's your job. So it's time to take a step back and do a true self-analysis on who you are, what you need to be happy and fulfilled, and what you can do to fill up your own life without looking for somebody out there to do it for you. When you're whole, healthy, and happy within yourself, your chances of finding someone to share your happiness with is much greater. And at the very least, you can have a rich life while being single. Your happiness is not dependent on having a partner. It really isn't. Once you feel whole and happy within yourself, you may want to look at how you've come to find your relationship partners in the past and go about manifesting a relationship in a different way. I feel it's really important to have rules for yourself when dating. Your rules are your personal boundaries. They keep you safe. And one big role that I recommend to people who have a pattern of getting involved in toxic relationships is start slow. Don't rush into anything. If a prospective partner is rushing you, Lay down the law and let them know you want to take it slowly. And this means not rushing into a sexual relationship. If that partner is narcissistic, they won't wait around. And this is a good thing. Now, a lot of people are worried. They want to please that person. They want to make that person happy because that's the habit. That's part of the pattern. Well, I don't want to disappoint this great new person, so I'm going to do what they want. I'm going to show up for them. I'm going to fulfill all their needs. Well, this this is part of the toxic pattern. 
It's trying to jump in there and fill all the needs of another person instead of considering your own needs. What do I need? I need to take it slow. I need to get to know who this person is before I invest myself in them. And you don't get to know who a person is the first two weeks or two months. It takes time, as you know. It takes time to really get to know who a person is. Remember that most people report that they begin to notice the red flags in a romantic partner within the first three to four months of dating. But by this time, most people are already deep in the relationship and they're sexually involved. And this makes it much more difficult to leave. Given that the majority of people notice red flags within the first three to four months, wouldn't it make sense to refrain from being intimate with a prospective mate for the first three to four months? Now, some will tell me that they didn't notice the red flags until further down the road, six months, even a year, and some not until they were married. And on occasion, this might be the case, But if I question deeper, there's usually some red flags that were ignored. Some people I work with didn't know what to look for. And so they didn't notice the red flags or they didn't notice that the flags were red. The more aware we become, the more we know what to look for. Have you ever heard the saying, If it seems too good to be true, it probably is. I would apply this to your prospective relationships because nobody's perfect, everybody has flaws, and all relationships have their challenges. Another thing you can do when you first start dating someone is don't be afraid to ask the important questions and have those important conversations. These will often make a narcissist very uncomfortable and you may be able to see a few red flags just by trying to have a deep, intimate conversation with one. Questions like, what do you feel was your part in the demise of your last relationship? Or how do you deal with conflict in a relationship? Or how do you deal with your anger when you get angry? Or how is your relationship with your family. And the list goes on. There's so many questions we can ask that will give us insight. It may not be the words they answer your question with, but more about their level of comfort with these questions. Narcissists need to remain in control. And if you take charge of a conversation and start asking them revealing questions, they may do some subtle manipulation to gain control of the conversation again, such as redirecting the conversation. You know, enough about me, let's talk about you. Although many people come to work with me after a relationship fails, more people are coming to work with me when they're thinking about dating again or when they've just met someone that they're interested in dating but they're afraid. And this is really a great time to seek therapy, coaching, and support because if we catch it early, it can save us from a world of grief and help us learn so much more about ourselves.
there's so much I could talk about on this topic, and I would like to talk about it a lot more in future episodes. You know, I'm, I'm starting to delve into it so that you can work on these little chunks that we've talked about. So if you would like some help or support in healing from a narcissistically abusive relationship or healing your toxic relationship patterns, learning to be healthy, whole, and complete by yourself, or dating support when you're looking for a new relationship, you can contact me through my website at NarcissismFree.com. Meanwhile, have a great day, and I'll see you in the next podcast.